Hello, welcome to podcast number four of Soul Talk. Gosh, I'm so thankful that you, listener, are a person who realizes that you're a soul, that you're a soul before you're anything else, like a physical being, that you understand that you are more driven by your mind, your will, and your emotions, and that your deepest and your most real life is lived from these places. Thus, we're always going to be talking about these things. So today, we're going to talk about fear. And it wasn't my idea to talk about it, but my very interesting, compelling, fun, and intelligent, Jesus-loving guest today, Adam Jacob. I never really noticed before, Adam, you have two first names, man. <laughs> yep. Hey, so I'm so glad you're here with me today. So please say hey to everyone. Hey. Hey. Excited Adam to talk. Yay. Yeah. So the crowd goes wild, and I really am very excited to uh, be with you today and have you here and have the uh, audience get to know you. Let me acquaint you listeners with this multi-talented mega house for the kingdom of God. Adam is married to Beth. He's 35. He's been married to Beth for 12 years. He is with a corporation that builds buildings. He's done a myriad of things like flipping houses, commercial construction. He's been a high school math teacher and a coach. One of my favorite things about Adam is he, is that he's a dad to three little girls who are six, three, and nine months, that he fosters two baby boys who are 15 months and six weeks old, that he and Beth, this is phenomenal, have led young life the better part of 20 years. Beth still has a Bible study of sophomore girls. She disciples young women. Adam mentors five college men and a group of young professionals. He helps out with lots of different things is involved in his local church and and uh, his foster children's mom's life, which is super cool. Adam, I know there's a ton of things that I've missed, but we'd be here all day if we really listed all you did. So again, I'm just going to say welcome. Thanks for having me. So before you and I actually begin talking, I want to say by way of backdrop for all the listeners, this weird sort of, I want to say something. I'm not generally a provocative person. I'm sorry, I'm certainly willing to be if it's about Jesus. And at times it can seem that I am because I am willing to talk about real things in real language. And sometimes that's provocative for people, but that's not my typical MO. However, having a six, are you what, six four? Is that what yeah. you are? Yeah. yeah. White male on for our conversation about fear at this very particular time in our world, okay? could be perceived as being a bit mm, provocative or, I don't know, perhaps slightly offensive or something, like like I'm trying to be countercultural or something. Because certainly, white men are not who are being particularly popular or being thought of as having fear that we need to discuss, or they're just not who or what we need to be discussing right now, is what it seems today. So I just want to say this was not my intention to be inflammatory or counter to anything. But like I said at the outset, the issues of the soul remain so all the time for all people. But nevertheless, I just wanted to say here at the outset that both Adam and I are aware of that potential perception of that sort of thing up front. Yeah, no doubt. I think it's interesting time to talk about it uh, anytime, particularly now, of course, with everything going on. Um, yeah, and it's funny, I, I, when we started talking about this, I didn't think about COVID as much as I thought about racial tensions and mm -hmm. everything that is happening with that. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> and really, when we thought of the idea of fear, we didn't even think about it in terms of either one of those issues. Yeah. So let's go to that topic right now to fear. It's definitely a soul issue. It's most certainly at play in everyone's life, whether we realize it or not. You know, no one escapes life without wrestling with this bugger on the regular, I think. I think it's why the Lord has allowed us to have it recorded in his written word so often with the phrases like, do not fear, fear not, do not be afraid. They're liberally sprinkled throughout the Bible from the mouths of angels, prophets, and even Jesus himself. It's clearly an agenda of our Lord's, isn't it? that we deal directly with fear, the fear that comes our way as we sojourn on the earth. So to that point, lots of people are actually kind of well aware of their struggle with fear. 
that I would say their experience, the ones that are aware of it, is realized more with their battle with anxiety and worry. But Adam, I'm going to say many people aren't actually aware that they have fear, let alone that, that, that they're dealing with it, that it's in their life. Would you like to say a word about that? Yeah, I think that a lot of people could say that they're afraid of certain things, that fear from possibly even their childhood has made them into who they are today and why they are the way that they are. But not a lot of people have done that homework, have dug in, have got professional help to determine where that actual deep subconscious is happening every day. It's happening in those small moments, in those big moments. Um, and I would say a lot of people maybe can't pinpoint when that happened to them. But for the most part, with with um, friends that I've worked through with this and with myself, it's uh, it's been so, so helpful to dig into that and find out. Hey, where's this come from? What's that look like? Yeah. And I'll tell you, I think it's so awesome. I want to tell the listener that, you know, you and I, we have so many things that we could have chatted about. And we, you know, we were laughing like, what what do we want to talk about? And we had a lot of things on the agenda. And then out of the blue, you emailed me and said, hey, let's instead, let's talk about fear. Why in the world of all the things we could have talked about, did you choose to talk about fear? And literally, though, I need to say that the minute you emailed that, I knew that that's what we were supposed to talk about because of how, the ubiquitous nature of it. But tell me why you chose to talk about it. So I think fear is something that we all share, some form of fear. We all live in fear. This world's broken. It's not perfect. And it ties back to the origin of the fall that they were afraid um, led to shame and so I think it's just something that unless you're working on it and constantly attacking it, um, a lot of people just don't know how, like I didn't know how big of a deal it was playing into my life. So mm. as I was thinking about what we were to talk about, it's like, man, everyone has some fear. Yeah. 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 It's like a universal thing that people can relate to. Yeah. And so to that, what do you see as the most common fear in people? Like just as you go about, I know you you go back and forth from sort of a ministry space to your, you know, workspace to your life with even kids and, and uh, neighbors and that kind of thing. As you go back and forth between all these areas, what do you see as the most common fear in all the people that you, you know, have a cross-section with? So to me, it comes down to at some level, to some manifestation, it's it's being fully known and not being fully loved and the fear of that. Um, and that leads to tons of things. Uh, you would be ashamed or you would be um, held to an impossible standard or something. And ultimately, uh, yeah. Could okay, lead- whoa. So say that a little slower because that's just huge what's just come out of your face there. <laughs> so you see it coming down to being fully known and mm-hmm. not fully loved, that people have fear related to that how? Exposing yourself, being like, am I lovable? Mm. And when there's, especially when there's a wound from childhood, you don't even know. Right. You're not even digging into that. You're just, you're just living your life having no idea that the reason you're carrying yourself the way that you do, the, we, the reason that you underperform or overperform or hide or overexpose or whatever it's likely because you're masking a fear with something. So you're saying there is deep fear around so this idea of people's intrinsic lovability. Yeah, like God made us to be fully loved um, and a full embrace of who we are as perfect children of his. And, you know, unfortunately, we're born into a place where from from the get-go with Adam and Eve, they had fear, which led to shame and we all have to live through this uh, and work through it. And, yeah. Keep going. You're on a roll, man. That is good stuff. Yeah. I think uh, Chuck, my friend Chuck, he says fear and shame are best friends. Fear and shame are best friends. <laughs> That's so good and so bad all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think there are just so many particular ways that this, like I said, manifests in people. Um, but they're just hand in hand. You're afraid. You're afraid of being shamed. You want to hide your shame. You want to not look like you're scared when on the inside, you may not even know, but you're, you're maybe terrified of something. Mm. Yeah. 
Well, yeah. I mean, I just think I'm thinking back to, um, you know, on the podcast that we did about shame that yes, shame is a satanic bait offered every one of us since the garden, that our brokenness is somehow worse than others, that our particular form of brokenness, like the way that I messed up, the way that I sin, how I fall short is somehow more reprehensible than other people's. And so therefore, we fear exposure. We fear the rejection that would, we presume, most certainly come where our true self revealed. Yeah. We fear that at core, I'm unacceptable, that we're unacceptable, that, that that's why there's so much fear surrounding allowing our p- true person to be seen and known is what I hear you saying. And yet, as you've pointed out, this is our deepest longing. This is what drives so much of what we do. We want to be loved. We want to be loved. And yet we're so afraid that we're not actually lovable because of how evil baits us with the shame about our brokenness. Oh man, yeah. it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. I'm so I'm so pumped to be talking to you about this. And so some people would be surprised to hear a male talking about fear and shame. And so I need to say, unfortunately, truly, it is somewhat stereotypical that men struggle to identify this soul level fear of rejection, of being unlovable, of not being enough, perhaps. So since you're a male, as well as because you work with a large variety of personality types and mentor a ton of young men, I thought I would ask you to comment on this. How do you see people unaware of fear in their lives and maybe even how fear manifests itself in the lives of males, in your opinion? Yeah. So, apart from Jesus, most of the men I know who are really good at something is due to an opposing, like a truly opposite reaction to their greatest fear. Um, And certainly men that know Jesus are not, um, uh, you know, unable to have the same thing going on with them. But what I'm saying is usually we're working through that with as friends or whatever. So mm-hmm. rather than deal with those fears head on, we, I think men and women, we hedge against it with our adult life. Kind of compensatory is what you're saying? Yeah. And from the friends that I think of and, and you know, as I think through this, a lot of this uh, can be tied directly to their dad or lack thereof, certainly not all of them, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can usually, you can, I mean, certainly everyone is unique, but oftentimes, uh, uh if someone has a really successful career, oftentimes they're afraid of failure mm-hmm. and that's their, like, that's the bad way that they've been driven to that. Mm-hmm. Um, if they are seeking just a totally adventure filled life and everything needs to be super awesome and exciting, they're afraid of dealing with emotions. Maybe they never <laughs> saw that well done as a kid or from their folks. So they're essentially afraid of dealing with their feelings. Okay. Yeah. Um, Some people that really, really seek to have that perfect faithful companion or that marriage and they, they idolize that Mm -hmm. um, often come from divorced homes. Um, Again, people that make a ton of money, Mm -hmm. I think often have some pain in their past that, the world has told them, make that money, hmm. you can buy your way out of avoiding pain. And this, you know, there's kind of one more that I had thought of was those really tough people or those really funny people are afraid of their safety, physical or mental. And so they'll look as tough as they can or they'll be as funny as possible because they don't want people to see that in fact they're, they're afraid. Okay, that's just fascinating what you're laying out here for all of us. You're kind of, Adam, what I see you doing is putting equations together. You're kind of backing into it. You're kind of looking at the fruit, if you will, and pulling back into, if you kind of look at the fruit, it helps you identify what the root would be. Yeah. I can keep riffing on this. Like I I see people that are afraid of sadness. That they are, they have constant noise in their lives. People that have music on all the time, people that have that like the TV's on in the background all the time or whatever, they're afraid of sadness. Or that people that are obsessing and overdoing the focus on the physical attributes in their lives, you know, obsessed with, I don't know, working out and such, they have a fear of not being loved for who they are. 
they're constantly trying to compensate and be perfect in the physical realm. And then there's this whole huge thing that I know our society has become more aware of. And I, I just, it's so, in, it's so complicated that I can't even really put words to it. But hoarding, the scarcity mentality thing is, it's like, oh yeah, that's the fear of not having what you're going to need. So what, a, I mean, I love what you laid out there, that sort of formula of sorts that you laid out for our listener to sort of examine some of the patterns in your life to see if maybe, you know, you have a latent fear that you're compensating for. That's really good. That's yeah. really good. So when you think of how fear has tripped you up, you personally, mm-hmm. what does that look like? And what does it look like to deal with that fear victoriously or successfully or maybe even just talk to us a little bit about personally what's it look like when you've succumbed to fear? What's it look like when you've been successful? Anything you want to say about that? So as far as being tripped up, um, in my little bubble as a 10-year-old, I had a close friend whose dad up and left him and his brother and his mom. And so my greatest fear was that my parents would split up or one of them would leave. And so then that happened. My parents got a divorce. And, you know, if they couldn't love each other, could they love me mm. and a lot of things. But ultimately, it was like greatest fear realized. And so mm. what trips me up is I, I hedge against that that ball dropping like it's gonna it's gonna fall so i make sure i have a backup plan for everything and again this is in my worst place right i need to be able to take care of myself in all areas like in my worst place i justify my hedging um as good things like saving money or desiring desiring to learn new things when in reality i'm acting out of fear that the ball's gonna drop so be ready adam (laughs) it's gonna happen it's happened before causes me to over anticipate pain and justify being really, really selfish with things that make me feel good. Like food, for example. I mean, it does not take me much to overeat just because I feel a little bit like insecure and something's going to happen. So I can, I'll feel good now because I have right now to feel good. Well, okay. So this is fascinating for me. I had a similar experience in my life and it was that I had this perfect little mom, dad, you know, son, daughter, family, and without warning, found out that that family was going to disintegrate. And uh, what happens to me, one of the things that I do that's very similar to that is I make sure to save the best thing because the thing could go away. The thing could literally go away. So for instance, (laughs) if there are five of a thing left, I will save the best one for last because there's no guarantee that that's going to be there ever again. It's funny as a kid, like if there were three things on the plate and it was mac and cheese was one of them. I always ate that last, you know, <laughs> like as a kid. Yeah. Because I had the experience, which you had the experience of, which is the things that are supposed to be good, that are really good. They could go away without warning and never be there anymore. Yeah. So that's, how did you say it? You said, uh, that the ball's going to drop, so be ready. Yeah. For me, it's, yeah, the things that are here and really good, they can go away and never come back. Hmm. Yeah, and I'll say that was the most, when I learned early on when my friends told me that Jesus will never leave you, mm-hmm. that was like, mm-hmm. that took me to a level of love for him that, yeah, <laughs> Like even to this day, getting caught in that thought, it's like, that's the best. That's the best. <laughs> I can see you getting caught in that thought right here. Yeah. It's getting me caught in it as well. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus, that that is the truth. That's yeah. so good. So that's you getting tripped up. Keep talking about uh, that victory um, of Jesus being there for you always. What's victory over those fears looked like for you a bit? Yeah, so one of the things you've taught me is that um, in these things that we do, these, you know, for me having hedging against things, God is not gonna just leave that to be. But as I give that to him and say, Hey, I don't, I don't want to live in fear. I want to mm. live through you. He's going to not take away those things that I'm good at, but he's going to use them yeah. and give me life through them rather than what I was looking for, which was not life through them. Um, 
And really, that's like we just said, that's me relying on the truth that he will never forsake or leave me mm-hmm. and fighting freedom to use that skill set, uh, to use those things that I've used as hedges before uh, to trust him with it rather than try to trust myself and not be afraid that the ball is going to drop. Mm-hmm. It allows me to be a good husband and dad and friend and to know that God has my back. Yeah. And I, I was talking to my friend Chuck about this and he said one real practical thing that he does to work through this, which I just, I've never done. He takes a piece of paper and he'll write down his fear on one side mm-hmm. or multiple fears and he puts scripture on the other side of them. And he just looks at that and meditates on it. And so for him, that's that's brought him a ton of life just to know that there's there's literal scripture for every fear. That is awesome. Yeah. Well, and I love it because uh, it's so often been said that fear and faith cannot coexist. And so even in that physical way where Chuck, which who is this amazing Chuck we have to talk about for a second here. But anyhow, uh, that Chuck, he puts down physically fear and faith next to each other. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like, choose one or the other. They can't coexist. It's either this or this. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a really good physical representation of that. It'd be almost great to write down the fear, exit out and write the, you know, choose the faith instead. That's so much of what we need to do when we're choosing truth anyhow. So this Chuck you speak of, I think I heard that uh, Chuck is a soul healing aficionado. To the point where he might even get or has gotten, I don't know, is this the word on the street, a soul healing tattoo of some sort? Yes. So I don't know when he's going to get it, but he's probably um, given away a dozen soul healing books. I mean, anytime he is in charge of a Young Life team or a new group, he makes sure that that's the first thing that he gives to him. (laughs) He loves it. I mean, he's read it multiple times. I think he's rereading it right now. So. Chuck and you both are men who have gone through soul healing, and uh, it seems like women are uh, really willing to speak about their experience with the material, but I don't hear a ton from men. So I'd love for you to share with a listener, uh, you know, as a male who's gone through soul healing, what's your experience been like with the material? Just whatever you want to share, Adam, be cool. Sure. So I'm going to use an analogy that is kind of how I describe it to people. I, I feel like my the lies that the the devil throws at me every day um, and my, just how I go through my day, uh, like all of us, this, this may sound a little intense, but it's kind of like a, a, an upstairs scary attic space. It's got spider webs, there's fear in there, um, and it's just part of our story. And, and we may not know that that even exists or, or we may be working through it very um, systematically. But for me, this book, it was like, I felt confident to go into my attic with Jesus, mm. let him evaluate my story, organize that room, that scary attic, remove the scary cobwebs, shine light in places where I didn't know. Mm. I've got a fear sitting around that, um, those boxes that I'm unwilling to go over there. And instead, I just, like I said, I hedge against it. I didn't even know. Mm. And it just made it so manageable with scripture to make me feel like I know the truth and I have power to invite Jesus in to do work. And I love, like we've talked about Chuck. I love Chuck. <laughs> I asked him, um, and I'm going to read something he, he actually wrote. He said, know your vats, know the hellish expectations that you're putting on yourself and others. Mm. Take them to the Lord, slow your life down, meditate in solitude, what God really has for you. Mm. The evil one is throwing you lies throwing lies at you daily every second of every day carve out rhythms in your life to pour truth in yourself and the people around you and i'll tell you he actually took off work this week and i said what are you gonna do and he said (laughs) he said yeah you won't be able to call me because i'm just gonna shut everything off and put my headphones in and lay down for like four or five hours that's my plan like that's all i'm gonna do i just need to get away and i know that this is literally how he's doing what he just what i just read about him yeah yeah, he's going to take time to do what the Lord tells us, to meditate on his ways, mm-hmm. to be still and know that he is God. Yeah, that is, that's awesome. Well, okay, so the first thing that Chuck said was know your vats. And so for the listener who might not be familiar with that term from soul healing, vats are, uh, it's a term that we've come up with to describe developmental deficits that we have. 
to represent those things that we needed to get when we were young, but perhaps didn't for a whole variety of reasons. And it doesn't matter what the reasons are really, but that if we didn't get certain needs met when we were young, they will impact our daily life today as adults. And they will be very influential in our relationships today if we don't understand what is going on. So in the same way that if a baby does not get calcium when he or she is two or three years old, they'll never be able to play professional soccer as an adult. It's the same kind of thing. You can't go back and, and give get enough calcium ever to compensate for that time. So that's the point is those vats are, if we don't know, we have deficits from when we were young they will have significant emotional impact in our life today. So, And I love how he said, know the hellish expectations that you're putting on yourself and others. Sometimes just even adjusting our expectations have changed people's relationships completely. Marital relationships, people's capacity to experience God's love and grace for themselves just because of our expectations. It becomes in alignment with God's truth and reality. That's just so good. Yeah. So thanks, Chuck. I feel like he's been in the room with oh, us. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And thanks for the example of meditating and taking a Sabbath to do what God said was good. So, yeah. So what's a takeaway maybe from soul healing that you wish everyone could know or hold or have, Adam? Yeah. So there's so many. And I, I was trying to I was just trying to summarize them in a couple of ways. And one is, and, and Beth really taught me this and it's, it's okay to not be okay. Oh man. That's so huge. Yeah. Acceptance is huge. That's so good. Yeah. And I, I think it's more like everyone should put a target on their forehead that says, I can't do this alone. <laughs> if there, if everyone was really honest mm. and could humble themselves and be like, I mean, for me, like, if I can put my ego aside for a second, like I was talking about earlier, I try to do everything by myself uh, and I know I can't, I'm not made to. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like everyone lives this and, and so did Jesus. Yeah. Like he relied on the father yes. for everything. And it's, it's like the most normal thing about us. I think that sin is going to have an effect on us Yes. for on this side of forever. Like we're just going to be dealing with it. We're going to be dealing with it for till we die. Yeah, so we have to have the, I mean, what I hear you saying is we have to have the right picture of victory. Yeah. That victory on this side is going to look different than the ultimate victory on the other side when we have full deliverance. Yeah. And that it, it is about acceptance and it is about, you know, that a little a little bit of improvement is victory today. And we just keep inching towards better. We just keep asking him for a little more deliverance and a little more deliverance. Yeah. Yeah. And you and I've talked about that before. And I feel like this is such a good thing to drive home. Like I, I think men and women, we want to be successful. And so the question I ask is like, and I've asked you is like, how do I do this successfully? Mm. Um, mm -hmm. Do you want to speak to that? Something is always better than nothing. So like, you know, especially for those of us that really are convicted and know the benefit of reading God's word, right? So we're like, okay, so I need to have that half hour time with the Lord every day. Or okay, like I have to make sure that when I'm reading the word of God that I'm just there and I get out my lexicon and I'm looking at the Hebrew or the Greek and blah, 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 instead of like, well, something's better than nothing. So rather than wait until I get that 45 minutes, which might be once a month, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, I mean, you're a father and you have five mm -hmm. small children. Mm -hmm. Victory today might be like, hey, I grabbed three verses in the car and one of them penetrated my heart to the point <laughs> of tears. And that's like, thank you, Jesus, you know? And that's really hard when it comes to those of us that are more like quantitatively driven or, you know, well, that's not what I used to be able to do. And it's like something's better than nothing. Yeah. And can you like elaborate the other side of that when it's you know for guys in particular with some of the things that it's it's not so much about doing something it's about not doing something bad right right it's about it's not about doing the right thing it's about oh man i didn't i screwed up again right so i mean i don't mean to be i mean i started the podcast by saying 
I don't tend to be provocative. Well, uh, maybe I shouldn't have said that because so we know the struggle with porn is real and pervasive, just pervasive. And yes, with Christian people as well. So if you, and I know you talk about this with um, your brothers on a regular basis, if one of your brothers is really trying to go after his struggle with porn and let's say he looked at it, you know, 75 times uh, the last six months. And then, um, you know, this past month, he looked at it uh, five times. Are you going to say, yeah, man, you suck? Are you going to be like, no, way to go. You're on a good trajectory. That's some good victory. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But if we look at victory in these all or none terms that we tend to think about, we are setting ourselves up for the pharisaical death system of law. Yeah. I mean, that's it. Like we try to make it so black and white. Yes. And there's no no space for grace. There's no space for improvement. There's like, nah, I just, I failed. Right. Right. That's and then, true. And we think about, okay, so you and I are in a fun direction off of fear, but it is related, right? It's the fear of, am I ever going to be quote unquote good enough for the Lord? And it's like, oh, that goes right back to perfect love casts out fear. I have already been made righteous in his sight. This other stuff is just walking in that. I I don't have anything to prove to anyone about anything. He's paid it all. I'm already righteous. I'm already complete. I'm already. This is just a matter of walking out my best life, the life that he's planned for me. I don't have to prove it at all. Perfect love casts out fear. This is Brendan Manning. He said, God knows you and loves you just as you are and not as you should be. Mm. And he goes on to say, because you'll never be as you should be um, Hmm. this side of heaven. But soul healing, it's like real biblical tools versus we all know versus, well, versus we maybe have studied or read. And it's like the book makes them so practical to -to day-to-day things that I'm fighting in my head. Mm. And then, and you talked about this in another podcast, uh, and I mean it in the best way. Like, I think this is so empowering. It can sound so sad to, if you don't really think about it, but grief is not leaving us this side of heaven. Right. And our good yeah. Abba Father knows this, mm-hmm. which logically means if we can wrap our head, yeah. like when I really know he's good yeah. and I really know that I'm sad, um, that means that he's going to help me through it yeah. with so much love. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the book just, it's just that truth of like, it's okay to not be okay. You're going to have grief. He loves you just as you are. Yeah. See, listener, aren't you so glad I invited Adam on? <laughs> so to that point, dear one, what is something that you want to say to the world, knowing you have a tiny, tiny chance to speak to this <laughs> unknown audience right here? Adam, what, what do you want to tell them? Ugh. So when I first started following Jesus, this guy... He goes by Koya, but his name is Nikolai Anatolievich Lutov. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Another uh, tall dude that I love so much. And um, he just, he hammered this on me from, from very early on. And I feel like he did, maybe he knew what he was doing, but it's just, it's just so, so critical. These two, these two questions that as often as possible, like in the smallest moments and the biggest and the ones that are really fun and then the ones full of fear. I feel like these are the two most fundamental questions that need, we need to ask ourselves that I try to ask myself and that we need to pursue answers on all the time. And they are, who is God and who am I? So good. And I'm so thankful for that dude and that foundation that, he laid in me and I think, you know, I really thought about this question a lot. And I think that's, that's what I would say. For everyone all the time, be constantly going back to who is God and who am I? So when you're in the middle of a conversation and it's really rough, who is God and who am I? Yeah. When you're in the middle of having just blown your stack at your spouse, who is God? And who am I? When you're in the middle of a pandemic and you've just found out that they're going to phase three of laying off people, 
You're probably in it. Who is God? Who am I? When you're in the middle of probably going to get up in the middle of the night and click again on that place that you don't really know, you know, you shouldn't click again. Who is God? Who am I? I mean, it's, that's so good. Yeah. That's so good. And same as the opposite, right? Like when you're in the middle of something awesome, like when it's going really well. Right. When that baby shows up, when. Yeah. Who is God? Who am I? When you're at the wedding, when you're, when your kid finally does whatever. And then at the same time, when, when tragedy strikes. Yeah. Who's God? Who am I? And even the mundane, I feel like I, I ask myself this when I'm brushing my teeth. I'm like, man, you made me to have teeth. I got to take care of. Start thinking about all the marketing money that P&G puts in the crest that I'm using. And I'm like, you made them that creative to make this stuff with all these things. Like there are people all over the world brushing their teeth. I wonder if they think about these teeth. I wonder what God's teeth look like. I wonder who he is and how he made me this way. I don't know. That's where my head goes. And the little things, the little things. That's so great. Oh, man. Well, you are truly a delight to me, and I love getting to introduce you to the listeners. And so one of the things that I do uh, find absolutely appropriate about this time and about having you on right now, even though you are a tall, white man, is that right now, way before these last weeks in our country, you have had... um, a little African-American in your home for, gosh, how long was he in your home? About 13 months. 13 months. And then he was out of your home for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then he came back to your home how many months ago? Um, five weeks. Yeah, about five or six weeks. With a little brother. Yep. So you have been involved in, um, you know, Black Lives Mattering. Mm-hmm. Before our country had its eyes opened, maybe many in our country have had their eyes open to a new degree. So I would love for you to tell us just as much as you're willing to about your situation, your foster children's situation, and how the racial tensions and issues of our present time, how they've impacted you, or even just what you have to say about them and about it and about their mom and how much you love her. And are involved with her and whatever you can talk about. We want to learn from you and we just want to hear this really wonderful story, to be honest. So, I don't know how much detail to go into, but I was told when I was 18, I would never be able to have kids. And I didn't know Jesus at the time. Um, I think I was maybe even younger than that. And so there's always been this thing in my head of like, oh, I'm going to adopt one day. Like, I want to be a dad. I'll adopt. Didn't even think about foster care. It's just like, yeah, I'll adopt. So ended up able to have kids, had kids. And and we'd always talked, you know, Beth and I had always talked about maybe we'll adopt or whatever one day. And um, started taking foster care classes which we should have done forever ago. And let me just say, we had so much we had so much fear of foster care. What is this going to cost us time-wise? How do you put your heart out there knowingly that it's going to get ripped out? What if it's a scary family and they find out where we live? Like all very practical questions, but all really fear-based questions of stepping into that. So during that time and, and like years, years prior – certainly sporadically, but always on our hearts was like, we want a family with people that don't, that aren't like us in some way. Um, I'm not saying it's like the formula, it's right or wrong to want that or whatever. We just didn't, we just, we, we want that. And so by happenstance, when we are a couple months pregnant with <laughs> Ruthie, we get a call for uh, a boy that needs placed and they're always emergency placements. Like they're just really quick and, you know, didn't even know that he was black uh, at first. And, and then he found out he was black and we were like, whatever, it doesn't matter. Came in. And um, I think that like, I don't think he has any, I don't know when he'll, he'll realize he's black. Uh, but for us, certainly it's been interesting in a couple levels. 
one, we don't, and we don't believe this, but we certainly have kind of seen this come out in, in some people of like, um, what I would call like the white savior, which is just a weird thing. in I think white Christian culture, when you have a kid in the family that doesn't look like you, that it can be like this, this weird, almost sexy thing of like, yeah, yeah, that's really cool. You're doing this. When in fact, the whole reason foster care exists, regardless of what a kid looks like, um, is to take care of that kid, to uh, get them in a safe place. And, and so for us, before all this stuff was going on uh, with our, our little boy, um, we would work through that. We would talk about that and we'd be like, man, it's weird. Like we think people are giving this extra attention. Um, like how do we, what does this even mean? And thankfully we have, so we've got cousins in Atlanta, um, Jonathan and Callie who have, who are white and they have two biological white kids and they have five, uh, minority kids that they've adopted. They have seven. It's funny. They're six. They called the Omega, um, Asher, the Omega. He was not the last one. <laughs> and so we're constantly talking to them about it and what it's like and, and talking through this and all to say like, we have been just, we've felt so naive and so blind to what challenges the black community faces and what incredible opportunities we have had uh, ourselves. Um, And it's made us so grateful, but it's broken our hearts and it's rocked our foundation in a way that, that we are, we need to change our trajectory and the way that we look at Jesus and the way that we look at the world in America, the way that we read scripture when there's different ethnicities involved, different looking people involved with each other. Um, and yeah, I mean, it really doesn't, if he was white, like if the boys were white, we would be doing the same thing, but I'll tell you, one of the, the biggest things that just the way that our view of this has changed is this is originally foster care. When we looked about it and we talked about it, it was, you take care of the kids. But now we think that that's more of a bandaid that we need to broaden our scope and we need to take care of them and their mom long-term. And I mean this in the best way, if we could adopt all of them, the boys and their mom somehow. And we're like kind of trying to, like we're trying to help her out in every way we can to some degree, like getting her car. uh, Even my mom offered to help pay her rent for an extended period of time. Our, our, our trajectory has changed to that from, from like the more acute helping these kids right now to help mom get healthy so she can reunify with them. Um, So I know that was a little bit here and there, but those are my thoughts. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that experience with us. And so what's it been like for you to have the rest of the world have the various massive reactions that have gone on in the past month? I'm thankful that things have been brought to light that weren't, it's not that they weren't real before, they just weren't given the proper attention. I'm thankful that Jesus set the example of breaking down barriers with the woman at the well who is different than him and what it looks like to love people that don't look like you or don't act like you. Um, it's made us, it's made us grateful. It's made us so angry. It's made us sad. It's made us feel helpless. Like, you know, I think we all have gone through or going through a piece of this where we're like, we don't know what to do. Like, what do we do? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, how do we, how do we go about this change? And so for us, very, you know, very like micro view of it in our house is we support the boys and their mom long-term. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. Yeah. As long as they'll let us, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. That's the biggest impact we can have right now. But certainly it's going to be, it's going to change the way we look at church gathering it's going to change the way we look at our town um what we're consuming the way that we think about things and i think it's just added it's destroyed a couple lenses that we had in front Mm -hmm. of our face and it's 
it's put in new ones and it's refined some and polished some. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, we've been so many places today. Yeah. We've been all over the place. And that's just, that's just fun because that's just you and I, that's you. That's your life. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I think you know, I've just been so glad for this time. And, and, you know, if we kind of go back to all of the things that we've been allowed by God's kindness for this conversation to touch on, we really are in the middle of a huge time of what if, right? Yeah. Huge. And what if is so related to the satanic bait of fear. Those are two of the most dangerous words in the English language, right? Mm-hmm. And it just makes me think of the f- famous Corey Ten Boom, I think it is, quote, about worry not emptying today, excuse me, tomorrow of its sorrow. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow and empties today of its strength. I would say the same thing about fear. Fear doesn't do anything about what's going to happen tomorrow. Nothing. It just steals today, right? Fear is a horrible waste of today, the precious gift of today. And so I don't know if you've ever had um, life radically altered by in a moment. I know Adam and I have both intimated to you that we have. But if you have, you know that why, why waste this precious moment that you're in because of something that could happen tomorrow? We can allow the what-ifs to go back and forth in our minds ad nauseum, and they will always rob us of joy, contentment, happiness, and peace. So I want to encourage us. Listen, they're there all the time. What? What if so-and-so doesn't like me? What if our economy doesn't open back up? What if I get COVID? What if I fail? What if I can't have children? What if my children reject me? What if something happens to my spouse, my child, my parents? What if someone I love gets sick? What if I'm rejected? What if, what if, what if? It's just what if I'm unlovable? What if I get hurt? What if I experience pain? What if I fail? What if I am found out? What if I'm exposed? What if? When fear dominates, we lose the moment that God has us in. And I think that's the thing that I just want to remind us of, that fear is the enemy of faith, that fear is the enemy of God's sovereignty, God's love of ordering the steps that he's given us for our lives, that fear is truly a hellish tactic meant to cause us to doubt God, meant to cause us to doubt God's good will and good plan for our lives. It's meant to, for us to doubt God's love and God's character. That's why I love that that the Lord has given us this promise in 1 John, perfect love casts out fear. So will you today return again and again and again whenever faced with fear to the perfect love of God? That God's perfect love, that God's love of you, that God's provision for you, that his promises for you, that his nearness to you, that his envelopment of your very self, that his containment of your very soul, that his promise of your very future, that the fact that he has, he has provided for you for all time, forever and ever and ever and ever to a degree that you cannot imagine, that that will absolve the fear, that consumes the fear, if we'll let it. Whatever that fear is, whether it's a fear of a person sitting beside you or a calamity that could be on the horizon or a doctor's appointment tomorrow. So I love the fact that when David, who, you know, was said to be a, he was recorded as being a man after God's own heart, he, you know, he was given so much credit in the Bible. And after escaping one terrifying time in the midst of a Philistine territory, he wrote, I sought the Lord, and he heard me. He answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. That's in Psalm 34, verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. I know that at a really critical time in my life, the Lord, I mean, I can tell you the very doctor's office I was sitting in when God gave me that verse 23 years ago. And he has done exactly what he promised. And so I just want to end there today and say it's an opportunity. This time is an opportunity for us 
to allow God's deliverance of us, his perfect love for us, that if we seek him, he will allow his promises and his provision and his person to be a way in which we can experience deliverance from literally any fear. And so I pray it for you. I pray, Jesus, that whatever you've wanted to provide during this time, that we would have moved and listened with you. Thank you so much for Adam and his uh, willingness to share his heart, his willingness to give us this topic, his willingness, his willingness to come and spend the time and and um, even share his perspective on fear and bring us to you in that way. I pray, Lord, that you would bless him as he continues to be a conduit, even for these two boys and their mom. I pray a blessing on his family and all those he comes in contact with. And Lord, I pray for every one that is within the sound of my voice, that even right now they sense you near. And they sense um, a desire to conquer fear rising and excitement about recognizing the beta fear, a discernment even growing about recognizing the beta fear and truly what a hellish tactic it is, the sinister nature of it and the pervasive nature of it and how it is a tool of the enemy meant to remove them from closeness to you. And so I just pray a blessing on all who listen now and all who have listened through this podcast. Lord, that they would sense you near, they would sense you big, and they would certainly sense you and your love for them very specifically right now in whatever corner of the earth they may be in. Jesus, thank you for them. Thank you for your promise that we will always prevail over fear when we seek you first. 